Act Four of Tartuffe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tartuffe or the Hypocrite by Moliere. Act Four. Scene One. Cléant Tartuffe. Yes, it's become the talk of the town, and make a stir that's scarcely to your credit. And I have met you, sir, most opportunely, to tell you in a word my frank opinion, not to sift out this scandal to the bottom. Suppose the worst for us. Suppose Tamis acted the traitor and accused you falsely. Should not our Christian pardon this offence, and stifle in his heart all wish for vengeance? Should you permit that, for your petty squabble, a son be driven from his father's house? I tell you yet again, and tell you frankly, everyone, high or low, is scandalized. If you'll take my advice, you'll make it up, and not push matters to extremities. Make sacrifice to God of your resentment. Restore the son to favor with his father. Alas, so far as I'm concerned, how gladly would I do so. I bear him no ill will. I pardon all, lay nothing to his charge, and wish with all my heart that I might serve him. But heaven's interest cannot allow it. If he returns, then I must leave the house. After his conduct, quite unparalleled, all intercourse between us would bring scandal. God knows what everyone's first thought would be. They would attribute it to merest scheming on my part. Say that, conscious of my guilt, I feigned a Christian love for my accuser, but feared him in my heart, and hoped to win him and underhandedly secure his silence. You try to put us off with specious phrases, but all your arguments are too far-fetched. Why take upon yourself the cause of heaven? Does heaven need our help to punish sinners? Leave to itself the care of its own vengeance, and keep in mind the pardon it commands us. Besides, think somewhat less of men's opinions when you are following the will of heaven. Shall petty fear of what the world may think prevent the doing of a noble deed? No. Let us always do as heaven commands and not perplex our brains with further questions. Already I have told you I forgive him, and that is doing, sir, as heaven commands. But after this day's scandal and affront, heaven does not order me to live with him. And does it order you to lend your ear to what mere whim suggested to his father, and to accept gift of his estates, on which injustice you can make no claim? No one who knows me, sir, can have the thought that I am acting from a selfish motive, the goods of this world have no charms for me. I am not dazzled by their treacherous glamour. And if I bring myself to take the gift which he insists on giving me, I do so, to tell the truth, only because I fear this whole estate may fall into bad hands, and those to whom it comes may use it ill, and not employ it, as is my design, for heaven's glory and my neighbor's good. Eh, sir, give up these conscientious scruples that well may cause a rightful heir's complaints. Don't take so much upon yourself, but let him possess what's his at his own risk and peril. Consider it were better he misused it than you should be accused of robbing him. I am astounded that unblushingly you could allow such offers to be made. Tell me, has true religion any maxim that teaches us to rob the lawful heir? If heaven has made it quite impossible, Damis and you should live together here. 
were it not better you should quietly and honorably withdraw than let the son be driven out for your sake dead against all reason it would be giving sir believe me such an example of your probity sir it is half past three certain devotions recall me to my closet you'll forgive me for leaving you so soon cleon alone ah scene two elmire marianne cleon dorine dorine to cleon sir we beg you to help us all you can in her behalf she's suffering almost more than heart can bear this match her father means to make to-night drives her each moment to despair he's coming let us unite our efforts now we beg you and try by strength or skill to change his purpose scene three organ elmire marianne cleon dorine so ho i'm glad to find you all together to marianne here is the contract that shall make you happy my dear you know already what it means marianne on her knees before organ father i beg you in the name of heaven that knows my grief and by what e'er can move you relax a little your paternal rights and free my love from this obedience oh do not make me by your harsh command complain to heaven you ever were my father do not make wretched this poor life you gave me if crossing that fond hope which i had formed you'll not permit me to belong to one whom i have dared to love at least i beg you upon my knees oh save me from the torment of being possessed by one whom i abhor and do not drive me to some desperate act by exercising all your rights upon me organ a little touched come come my heart be firm no human weakness i am not jealous of your love for him display it freely give him your estate and if that's not enough add all of mine i willingly agree and give it up if only you'll not give him me your daughter oh rather let a convent's rigid rule wear out the wretched days that heaven allots me these girls are ninnies always turning nuns when fathers thwart their silly love affairs get on your feet the more you hate to have him the more twill help you earn your soul's salvation so mortify your senses by this marriage and don't vex a bee about it any more but what you hold your tongue before your betters don't dare to say a single word i tell you if you will let me answer and advice brother i value your advice most highly tis well thought out no better can be had but you'll allow me not to follow it elmire to her husband i can't find words to cope with such a case your blindness makes me quite astounded at you you are bewitched with him to disbelieve the things we tell you happened here to-day i am your humble servant and can see things when they're plain as noses on folks faces i know you're partial to my rascal son and didn't dare to disavow the trick he tried to play on this poor man besides you are too calm to be believed if that had happened you'd have been far more disturbed and must our honour always rush to arms at the mere mention of illicit love or can we answer no attack upon it except with blazing eyes and lips of scorn for my part i just laugh away such nonsense i've no desire to make allowed to do our virtue should i think be gentle-natured nor can i quite approve those savage prudes whose honour arms itself with teeth and claws to tear men's eyes out at the slightest word heaven preserve me from that kind of honour 
I like my virtue not to be a vixen, and I believe a quiet, cold rebuff no less effective to repulse a lover. I know. And you can't throw me off the scent. Once more I am astounded at your weakness. I wonder what your unbelief would answer if I should let you see we've told the truth. See it? Yes. Nonsense. Come, if I should find a way to make you see it clear as day. All rubbish. What a man. But answer me. I'm not proposing now that you believe us. But let's suppose that here, from proper hiding, you should be made to see and hear all plainly. What would you say then to your man of virtue? Why then, I'd say... Say nothing. It can't be. Your error has endured too long already, and quite too long you've branded me a liar. I must at once, for my own satisfaction, make you a witness of the things we've told you. Amen. I'll take you at your word. We'll see what tricks you have, and how you'll keep your promise. To Doreen. Send him to me. To Elmir. The man's a crafty codger. Perhaps you'll find it difficult to catch him. To Doreen. Oh, no, a lover's never hard to cheat, and self-conceit leads straight to self-deceit. Bid him come down to me. To Cleon and Marianne. And you, withdraw. Scene four, Elmir, Orgon. Bring up this table and get under it. What? One essential is to hide you well. Why under there? Oh, dear, do as I say. I know what I'm about, as you shall see. Get under now, I tell you, and once there be careful no one either sees or hears you. I'm going a long way to humour you, I must say, but I'll see you through your scheme. And then you'll have, I think, no more to say. To her husband, who is now under the table. But mind, I'm going to meddle with strange matters. Prepare yourself to be in no wise shocked. Whatever I may say must pass, because tis only to convince you as I promised— by wheedling speeches, since I'm forced to do it, I'll make this hypocrite put off his mask, flatter the longings of his shameless passion, and give free play to all his impudence. But, since tis for your sake to prove to you his guilt that I shall feign to share his love, I can leave off as soon as you're convinced, and things shall go no farther than you choose. So— when you think they've gone quite far enough, it is for you to stop his mad pursuit, to spare your wife, and not expose me farther than you shall need yourself to undeceive you. It is your own affair, and you must end it when— Here he comes. Keep still. Don't show yourself. Scene 5. Tartuffe, Elmir, Orgon under the table. They told me that you wished to see me here. Yes. I have secrets for your ear alone. But shut the door first, and look everywhere for fear of spies. Tartuffe goes and closes the door, and comes back. We surely can't afford another scene like that we had just now. Was ever anyone so caught before? Demiste it frightened me most terribly on your account. You saw I did my best to baffle his design and calm his anger. But I was so confused, I never thought to contradict his story. Still... Thank heaven, things turned out all the better as it happened, and now we're on an even safer footing. The high esteem your Heldon laid the storm. My husband can have no suspicion of you, and even insists, despite the scandalmongers, that we shall be together constantly. So that is how, without the risk of blame, I can be here locked up with you alone.' 
and can reveal to you my heart, perhaps only too ready to allow your passion. Your words are somewhat hard to understand, madam. Just now you used a different style. If that refusal has offended you, how little do you know a woman's heart? How ill you guess what it would have you know when it presents so feeble a defence? Always at first our modesty resists the tender feelings you inspire us with. Whatever cause we find to justify the love that masters us, we still must feel some little shame in owning it, and strive to make as though we would not, when we would. But from the very way we go about it, we let a lover know our heart surrenders, the while our lips, for honour's sake, oppose our heart's desire, and in refusing, promise. I'm telling you my secret all too freely, and with too little heed to modesty. But now that I've made bold to speak, pray tell me, should I have tried to keep Demise from speaking? Should I have heard the offer of your heart so quietly, and suffered all your pleading, and taken it just as I did, remember, if such a declaration had not pleased me? And when I tried my utmost to persuade you not to accept the marriage that was talked of, what should my earnestness have hinted to you, if not the interest that you've inspired? And my chagrin should such a match compel me to share a heart I want all to myself. Tis, past a doubt, the height of happiness, to hear such words from lips we dote upon. Their honeyed sweetness pours through all my senses, long draughts of suavity ineffable. My heart employs its utmost zeal to please you, and counts your love its one beatitude. And yet that heart must beg that you allow it to doubt a little its felicity. I well might think those words an honest trick to make me break off this approaching marriage. And if I may express myself quite plainly, I cannot trust these two enchanting words until the granting of some little favor I sigh for shall assure me of their truth, and build within my soul, on firm foundations, a lasting faith in your sweet charity. Coughing to draw her husband's attention. <coughs> what? Must you go so fast, and all at once exhaust the whole love of a woman's heart? She does herself the violence to make this dear confession of her love, and you are not yet satisfied, and will not be without the granting of her utmost favours. The less a blessing is deserved, the less we dare to hope for it, and words alone can ill assuage our love's desires. A fate too full of happiness seems doubtful still. We must enjoy it ere we can believe it. And I, who know how little I deserve your goodness, doubt the fortunes of my daring. So I shall trust to nothing, madam, till you have convinced my love by something real. Ah, how your love enacts the tyrant's role and throws my mind into a strange confusion. With what fierce sway it rules a conquered heart, and violently will have its wishes granted. What, is there no escape from your pursuit? No respite even, not a breathing space. Nay, is it decent to be so exacting and so abused by urgency, the weakness you may discover in a woman's heart? But if my worship wins your gracious favour, then why refuse me some sure proof thereof? But how can I consent to what you wish, without offending heaven you talk so much of? If heaven is all that stands now in my way, I'll easily remove that little hindrance, your heart need not hold back for such a trifle. But they affright us so with heaven's commands. I can dispel these foolish fears, dear madam. I know the art of pacifying scruples. 
Heaven forbids, tis true, some satisfactions, but we find means to make things right with heaven. There is a science, madam, that instructs us how to enlarge the limits of our conscience according to our various occasions, and rectify the evil of the deed according to our purity of motive. I'll duly teach you all these secrets, madam. You only need to let yourself be guided. Content my wishes, have no fear at all. I'll answer for it, and take the sin upon me. <coughs> Your cough is very bad. Yes, I'm in torture. Would you accept this piece of licorice? The case is obstinate, I find, and all the licorice in the world will do no good. Tis very trying. More than words can say. In any case, your scruples easily removed. With me, you're sure of secrecy. And there's no harm unless the thing is known. The public scandal is what brings offense, and secret sinning is not sin at all. <coughs> so then, I see I must resolve to yield. I must consent to grant you everything, and cannot hope to give full satisfaction, or win full confidence at lesser cost. No doubt tis very hard to come to this. Tis quite against my will I go so far. But since I must be forced to it, since nothing that can be said suffices for belief, since more convincing proof is still demanded, I must make up my mind to humour people. If my consent give reason for offence, so much the worse for him who forced me to it. The fault can surely not be counted mine. It need not, madam, and the thing itself— Open the door, I pray you, and just see whether my husband's not there, in the hall. Why take such care for him? Between ourselves, he is a man to lead round by the nose. He's capable of glorying in our meetings. I've fooled him so. He'd see all, and deny it. No matter, go, I beg you, look about, and carefully examine every corner. Scene 6. Orgon, Elmire. That is... Crawling out from under the table. I own a man... abominable. I can't get over it. The whole thing floors me. What? You come out so soon. You cannot mean it. Get back under the table. Tis not time yet. Wait till the end to see and make quite certain. And don't believe a thing on mere conjecture. Nothing more wicked e'er came out of hell. Dear me, don't go and credit things too lightly. No, let yourself be thoroughly convinced. Don't yield too soon for fear you'll be mistaken. As Tartuffe enters, she makes her husband stand behind her. Scene 7. Tartuffe, Elmir, Orgon. Tartuffe not seeing Orgon. All things conspire towards my satisfaction. Madam, I've searched the whole apartment through. There's no one here, and now my ravaged soul— Softly! You are too eager in your amours. You needn't be so passionate. Aha! My holy man, you want to put it on me. How is your soul abandoned to temptation? Marry my daughter, eh? You want my wife, too? I doubted long enough if this was earnest, expecting all the time the tone would change. But now the proof's been carried far enough. I'm satisfied, and ask no more for my part. To Tartuffe. T'was quite against my character to play this part, but I was forced to treat you so. What? You believe? Come now, no protestations. 
Get out from here and make no fuss about it. But my intent... That talk is out of season. You leave my house this instant. You're the one to leave it, you who play the master here. This house belongs to me, I'll have you know, and show you plainly it's no use to turn to these low tricks to pick a quarrel with me, and that you can't insult me at your pleasure, for I have wherewith to compound your lies, avenge offended heaven, and compel those to repent who talked me of leaving. Scene 8. Elmir Orgon. What sort of speech is this? What can it mean? My faith! I'm dazed! This is no laughing matter. What? From his words I see my great mistake. The deed of gift is one thing troubles me. The deed of gift? Yes, that is past recall. But I have another thing to make me anxious. What's that? You shall know all. But see at once whether a certain box is still upstairs. End of Act 4